Well, God is good, isn't he? Amen. Well, my name is Sean Apke. I'm the lead pastor here. We're glad you're here today. If you look in your bulletins, there's a connection card in your bulletins. Please fill that out during the service, but listen to me as you're doing it because it shouldn't be that hard to get your name right. But um, <laughs> if you're visiting with us, fill, fill it out in its entirety. At the end of the services, or welcome counter in the foyer. We have a gift for you and some free information about our church. Not, not like we were actually charged for information about our church, but anyway... God's good, isn't he? Woke up at, at 6 a.m. this morning, but my body was screaming 5 a.m. And um, how many guys knew that? Knew about that? You guys came to the late service, and some of you were even the late, the late, this late service. So anyway, I don't know. I think I think this daylight savings time stuff is of the devil. How many would agree? Amen. Amen. Well, God's good. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We're on this uh, series, I want to get right into it, about um, being radical, having igniting radical relationships with the Lord. And my whole heart in this whole series that we're doing, which will last another couple of weeks, is so that uh, we are go full force with the Lord. You know, we're We've been, you know, that last song, we're singing about freedom, that we have freedom. I want us to really know what real freedom is. And, um, and what I'm going to talk about today really explains this very well. In fact, this verse that I'm about ready to read is actually a freedom verse. And we read some of it last week. Here's, here's it, here it is in verse 26, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Listen to what it says. This is a freedom verse. Keep that in mind. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be not my disciples. That's a very much a freedom verse. Say, Sean, how is that a freedom verse? It really is. And I know during this series we're taking on some very hard scriptures. You know, scriptures that Jesus said. And I don't want to just pass over them and, and, and don't recognize them. I want us to really dive into it. And this really is a freedom verse, and well, you'll see by the end of the service here today that it is. But he really talks really very strong here, and he, and he, and he uses the word hate. I hate the word hate. <laughs> I can't stand that word, to be honest with you. I, in fact, our kids, when they use the word hate, we have to correct them because it's not a good word, especially when it relates to people. Well, Jesus related this to people. He says, if if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot, he cannot be my disciples. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he wanting us to hate mo our mom and dad, our brothers and sisters, our wife or our children? And when we read this scripture last week, I'm sure some of you thought, you know, how are we going to do this? I thought we we're supposed to honor our father and mother and not hate them. I suppose we're supposed to love my wife, you know, and what, what's going on here, what Jesus is saying. So now I want to be very careful here, too, as I, we explain this verse today, not, and, and for any passage really in the Bible, that it's a very dangerous temptation for us to try to soften the words that we read, and especially the words of Jesus. And, and what it turns out is when we try to soften Jesus' word, it's just to justify the way we live. How many of you have ever done that in the, Bible, in the Bible? Just raise your hand. Don't just look at me like I'm the only one up here. I mean, sometimes we do that because we, we want to justify how we live, how we think, what we like, what we want to do. Twenty years ago, I developed a message that um, I used when I would go preach at other churches. 
And uh, the message title was that God has a wonderful plan for your life, not a wonderful life for your plan. And a lot of times that's what we want. We want, you know, our, you know, this wonderful life that God can give us. And He does give us a great life and it's a wonderful life. And, uh, but we want it on our own, own way. We want it in our own plan and, our own, and the way we want to live out of life. And that's not the way it happens. And so I don't want to soften the words of Jesus here because I really believe He wanted to use this word hate. And uh, so this is a very dangerous uh, approach to Christianity if we did try to soften the words here. So I want you to hold your place there in Luke chapter 14. So I want you to go with me over to Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read a couple different, a couple chapters here. But Matthew 22, it's a famous uh, chapter, Matthew 22 verse 36. A lot of you guys know that we say it around here a lot. But I want to show you this passage and another one in Matthew uh, about what it's really saying here in Luke 14. Matthew 22 is a conversation between Jesus and a religious teacher of the law. And here he is, and, and this teacher asks Jesus a question. He says, this teacher asks, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, let's stop there. The word greatest is very important here because it really explains to, to what Jesus is answering. The word greatest means primary. It means supreme. It means um, uh, something that you would put your total uh, focus in. That it's the greatest part of it. It's the first, foremost commandment in the law. And so Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. These donuts are making me crazy. Can somebody... <laughs> Honey, can you take these from me? Because I'm about ready to stop and start eating. I'm, I'm just smelling them. No, no don't, don't eat them, son. Okay, where am I at? Jesus loved, love you, love. See, my, my, see, it's already taken away from. But anyway, love the Lord. Jesus replied to the guy, love the Lord God with all your soul, with all your mind, um, with all your heart. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. That means it's just as important, it's just as equal, but there's a divine flow. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and of the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the first primary commandment in our lives is to love God with some of our hearts. No, all of our heart, all your soul, all your mind. And this, you know, really debunks the idea that there's priorities in our affections. See, the thing about God first, family second, and then this person third or fourth really isn't scriptural in order. Now, yes, that God wants you to love your family. Yeah, God wants you to do that. But God should be everything. All, primary, supreme, supreme love, everything. All your affections belong to God. And this is the testimony that Scripture flows right from here. And then he says, second is like it, is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's not about these positions. It's about Him, and out of Him flows everything else. And if you are ordering your life, you're doing your family a disservice in doing that. If you're saying, God, I'm going to give you first, and then my wife second, then my children third, and then whatever. I mean, who, who knows your order that you have in your heart? But listen, you're doing them a disservice because you're doing it under your own strength and your own love. And this is what it's saying. God, I'm going to give you 60%, and the rest 40% I'll divide up. No, God says all of your heart. Everything goes towards Him. Then out of that, 
flows even greater love. Let me, let me go on and let's, let's talk about that. Because when the love of God is supreme, there's something that's great happening. Because everything, all your affections belong to God. Everything belongs to God. And when that love of God is supreme, it's priority, it's first, it's nothing else. It's that, it's that the result of love is for who? It's for, not just for each other. They go together. Love for others springs out from the love of who? Love of God. So when my love for God is supreme, and there's no, no dividing, it's everything. You don't get anything else. In fact, I love you. Out of that love flows everything else. My wife will receive more love and a greater love if I'm loving God with all my heart. It comes out of that, not out, not out of who Sean is. If it's just Sean, I'm going to divide it up, and it's worthless. Because my love, guess what? My personal love and your personal love is going to say this. I love you, but when you stop loving me, I'm not going to love you anymore. When you stop giving me what I want, I'm not going to love you anymore. Isn't that right? But when your love for God and you're going after Him, there's such a greater love. So my love for my wife is not my love. It's God's love. And that's a far greater, far supreme type of love that I could ever love her, love my kids, love my family, love this church, love people out there in the world with because it's the love of God, not the love of Sean. The love of Sean stings. That's my wife. It's the love of God. Loving Him is supreme. It's a superior love. Now let's turn back a little bit more. Turn back to the left. You come to Matthew chapter 10. And we see clearly that, the, that, the, that, a, that there's a love that supersedes all other love. And that's the loving God and loving Christ. And you get to Matthew 10 and you see this passage that's very familiar to Luke chapter 14. So Matthew 10 verse 37. Let's listen to the words of Jesus here. He says... He says, if anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You see the picture here? Here in Matthew 10, you've got this strong comparison here. You, your love for me is far greater than your love for your mother, your father, your son, or your daughter. And we bring that back into context and in what, what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 14. And we see that Jesus uses word hate. Uh, there a lot. And I don't want to soften that word because I want, I want to explain what he's talking about here. I believe what he's communicating is very clear here. Love for him is so supreme. When you get into that love, love of God, our love for him should be so supreme, so giving everything that we have, everything that we are, so supreme in that and that's what he was talking about among his disciples and everyone that was hearing that, that our love should be so great for him that every other love that we have ever had for anybody else looks like hate compared to the love we have for him. And that's the way we should love God. And when we love God through that, our love for others, our love for others just springs out for that and is far greater. And compared to my love that I could only give out of my personal life could only go so far, looks like hate compared to the love coming out of that. My, my relationship with God to my wife looks far greater than that. And see, that's greater. That's a greater kind of love. And that's the love for him that needs to be so supreme in our life that it's greater than any other thing in our life. And that changes our perspectives because when love for God is so supreme, our love for God captivates our heart. And, what, and, 
it captivates us. It, I mean, we're just so just in love with him. And that's all we can talk about. I'm talking about a radical relationship. I'm not talking about a little bit of relationship. I'm talking full force into him. And that changes everything we have. Because I can now love my mother and father greater because I love my love for him. I can love my son and daughter greater because of my love for him. Man, how do you play out Ephesians 5, 25? Where love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How can you do that? You, if your love for God is not supreme and that's it, you don't have that kind of love, you won't be able to do that. You can't love your spouse like God wants you to love your spouse. The only way you can do that is through him. The, they flow. One flows out of the other. But it starts out of that reservoir of love for the supremacy of Christ. That God is everything to me. God is everything. Nothing else matters but Him. And I just love Him. I, I, I just go after Him. I'm full force. I'm all in to loving God. And see, our hearts are conquered by that. We're captivated by a superior affection in God. And this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Is to make the love you have for God first. Way above other loves. Where in comparison... Everything else looks like hate that you had before. And that's what God wants from us. And once your love for God becomes that supreme, that first, that priority, then you can really love people. And everything starts to flow out of that love. You know, we say that, we say in our lives that I, I, I need to go to church, and I need to take my kids to church, I need to pray, I need to study the Bible. And, and be honest with you, this is not Christianity. It's not Christianity at all. Christianity does not consist of resentful type of obedience to Christ. Christianity doesn't, doesn't look like that. Where do we get the idea that Christianity is all about just about obedience? See, we have to let go of the things in this world we love and we do the things that we really don't want to do so we can think that God's going to love us more and we'll get to, get to be a Christian. That's not Christianity at all. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity sees the supremacy of Christ and loves Him with all our heart that we become so infatuated by Him, so drawn toward Him that our love for Him drives everything we do. That my love for Christ drives me to read the word it's not enforces me i just do it because i love him my love for christ i love to come to church not because i have to because i want to it becomes that thing i love others because i want to not because i have to love people aren't you tired of having to have to love people yes. look to your neighbor and say i'm tired of that i'm tired of having to love you i don't know if that that's you know Hafting. <laughs> See, I, I don't have to love you. I get to love you. In fact, not only I get to, I want to love you. I desire to have a relationship with you. I desire to love people out there that curse God. I love, desire to love people that don't like who I am. How can I do that? How can Jesus say, love your enemies? Huh? How can he do that? There is just no earthly way that you and I, in our own understanding of love, can love our enemies. 
How many has ever been punched before? Love is not the first thing I think about. Think about taking my walker and going crazy on them. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I need help. Anyway, um, but the only way we can do that is because he becomes supreme. And we love him. And we love him with everything that we have. And then we can really love others. And that's why the world will see that and want to become a believer. Not because you say you're a Christian and you have all the answers, but because of you loving them. And so the question before you in the line of verse 26 in Luke 14 is, do you love Christ? Do you want him? Do you love him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you read your Bible, pray, or if you teach, or if you do this and that, or you're trying to raise your kids good or whatever, but do you really, really love him? Do you love Christ? Is he the reason why you live? Is he the one your heart beats for? Do you really love him? Do you really love him? Is he the reason you do what you do? And this is the picture, superior love. It makes every other love look like hate. Now I want to be careful about what I'm about to say here because I don't want you to, I want you to listen closely to this. But I'm convinced about something in our culture, in the Christian culture today, even all the culture in this United States here, is I believe we idolize a few things. I believe because we don't understand that he should be first and only and then everything springs out of that and that how we've divided our love up. Because I believe we idolize a few things. I believe we idolize children. I believe we idolize our marriage. I believe we idolize sex and marriages, uh, sex and relationships, parents, families, friends to the point where Jesus just gets the leftovers of our affections. And it's very unchristian. My relationships become better because I'm operating out of my love for him. He doesn't want you to get rid of those other relationships. That's not what he's saying. He says, I want you to love me so I can really show you how to love everybody else. So you can have greater relationships. You know, our title of this is Radical Igniting Godly Relationships. Igniting that God thing in your life. So he doesn't want you to hate people. He wants you to love them more in a greater way. But it first comes from, I'm all into you, Lord. I'm all into you. The greater thing I can do is stay in the presence of God and love Him more. The greater thing I can do is just go after Him with all my heart. My family, everything else is going to come in line because He orders my life. That's what He wants. Complete love. The second thing he comes in there in verse 27, Luke chapter 14. He says this, If anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, the second term Jesus talks about here requires superior love, definitely. But it also requires complete loyalty. This exclusive loyalty to him. Carry his cross. That's a term, that's a phrase that a lot of people use, but they don't use it correctly. They misunderstand it and then also misapply it. 
And here's what people talk about today when they're talking about carrying a cross. Is they say this, well, I'm going through this illness or this disease or this struggle. I have this bad relationship with my spouse. So, spouse, I'm carrying my cross for being with you. Anyway, um, or I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I just have this bad thing going off on at work. I'm struggling financially or, or something. And I'm just, it's just my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That misses the whole point about what Jesus is talking about when he talks about carrying your cross. And it's not what the hearers of that century were listening to when they heard Jesus say that. And we need to put ourselves in their shoes and understand what he was saying. He says, anyone who does not carry his cross. Now, a cross, the only time you would carry a cross if you were a convicted criminal um, punished to die. And so they would put a crossbeam on your shoulder and you, they would parade you through town and humiliate you among everybody in that town and you would walk your way up to where you would be hung on that cross. And so to the, the people that day, this is a repugnant thing to think about. You know, they, they, they heard that and it was like, and they had to take a step back and said, what are you talking about? There's, what? I mean, it was, it was offensive for Jesus to even say that to them. Because that was one of the most humiliating, torturous thing anybody could go through during that time. And so we've got to feel the weight of this. We wear crosses everywhere. We see crosses everywhere. And this is the equivalent of it. And let's bring it to present day. It was like Jesus would be saying, equal to saying, that if you do not pick up your electric chair, you can't follow Christ. You can't follow me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Electric chair is, a little, is not as strong as a word as the cross because it's very insufficient because a cross involves, involves so much more cruelty and torture than a electric chair would even, even come close to. So I want, it's even worse than that. So in reality, so if you're going to carry a cross, you're going to carry your electric chair. And so what he's saying here, the reality is of carrying your cross is that you're a dead man walking. That you have no more dreams, no more plans for your life, no more ideas for what you're going to do with your life. Everything is over for you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now remember, I'm not trying to, I want to soften the words. I want to really get an understanding of this. That's what he's saying here. If you come to me, if you come to Jesus, you die. You don't live anymore. And that is one of the most freedom things you can ever tell a person. Is that I don't die but I can live in Christ. Because there's something very powerful here. Everything is over for you. You have no more pride. You have no more honor. Nothing. You're walking through public humiliation on the way to a place where you, you are going to die. That's what it's saying here. And I know this is strong, but this is what Jesus says, that we die to the life we live. We die to who we are now. If you're a Christian according to Scripture, not according to the contemporary definition of what a Christian is, watered down, but this is what it is by the Bible standards. If you're a Christian according to Scripture, you're dead. You're dead to yourself. You're dead to your dreams. You're dead to your hopes. You're dead to your plans. You're dead to your ideas. What is going to happen in your life? You're dead to that. You're dead to all these things. And that's why in the last part of that verse of 26, he says, hate not only these people, yes, hate even your own life. 
he cannot be my disciple. See, you do not live based on your desire anymore, what your dreams were, what your plans were. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says it clearly. I have been crucified with Christ, yet not I live, but Christ lives in me. You say, Sean, I'm not dead. I'm breathing here. So how do we live? We live not in who we are, but in who he is now. He lives in us. We live in Christ. I was crucified with Christ when I became a Christian. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. And this is the picture. I am dead to myself, but I have been made alive in Christ Jesus. We are dead to our self-thinking. We are dead to our self-saturating desires. We are dead to our self-centeredness for our lives. We are dead to our self-comforting lifestyle. Dead to it all. But we've been made alive to Christ. This is what we've been made alive to. And this is where freedom is. Because the other part is humanism. Humanism means I'm the God. And unless you die and not become God, he can't become God. You have to, become, you have to die so he can become God in your life. Otherwise, that's why we used to live. I was God. It was all about me, 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 me. If I'm going to love you, you better give me something. But Jesus says, I love, that's it. I love you. You don't have to give me anything. I love you. You don't have to give me anything. And so he says, take up the cross. If you want to be my disciple, he didn't say going to heaven. He says, if you want to be my disciple, that means if you want to be like me. A disciple is a person who walks alongside somebody to train them to be like them. So if you want to be like Jesus... You may get to heaven. just depends on your theology, I guess. I don't know. But this is what he says. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be like me, be used by me, be, be, get the God kind of life, the life that I have, you must die and no longer live, but live in me. Amen? And so we have been made alive to Christ. I've been made alive to Christ's thinking. I've been made alive to Christ's honoring. I've been made alive to Christ's desires, His planning, Christ-centered living. I'm dead to myself, but I'm alive to Christ. So my whole identity is not who I am or what I do. It's who He is and already has done. That's who I am. That's who I live for. So right now, that changes everything. That changes not just my perspective. This changes my priorities because now the life of Christ determines everything I do. You don't determine where you live. Christ determines where you live. You don't de- determine the house you buy. Christ determines the house you buy. You don't determine the car you want or, d- or get. It's Christ who determines that. It's Christ's decision. You don't determine the clothes you wear. It's Christ who makes that decision for you. You don't determine what you buy or anything else. It is Him. And it's all about Him. And when we flow in Him, there is so much freedom in that because Christ determines everything. You die to the li- your life. You use to live you live now in his kind of life and there's so so much huge freedom in this there's peace that can reign in this type of lifestyle and i love it because no longer do i have to live trying to please myself i please him and that is far greater you're see listen we're talking about things that that aren't flowing where and you need to get it to flow well in your relationships with god so have you died have you died to yourself? Are you willing to go after him with all your heart? Love him 
And have you died to yourself? Have you given all your plans and your dreams and laid them at the cross of Christ and said, God, is this yours? Is this of you or is this of my other God that I used to be? Who is it? And you give it to him. Every decision. You know, I've made decisions financially that has gotten us in trouble. But when I gave it over to the Lord and made decisions his way, there's freedom in that. Amen? There's freedom in every single area in your life. When Lisa and I decided in, the, in our marriage, in our relationship, to give it over to God and be like Him, our marriage is so much greater because of it. And since, since we've done that, it's greater. There's so much freedom in loving Him with all your heart. There's so much freedom in having this complete loyalty to Him that He rules and reigns. And since we've now become, have that superior love and that complete Loyalty to God, we can live in freedom. What's that freedom to do? Freedom to love. Because it's not about us trying to love people anymore. It's not us trying to impress people anymore. It's about God and others. And this is what happens. When we have that complete love and that complete loyalty to Him, we become so free that it unleashes us. It unhinders us to love as He loves. And when I live this radical lifestyle and this unchained to the way we, we live, the, world, the way the world lives, I'm not like that anymore. I can love like Jesus. And I want to show you something. I'm going to close with this. My birthday present to you is closing 15 minutes early, by the way. <laughs> Maybe. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Hey, worship team, you guys can come on up. Acts chapter 3, verse 4. And fixing his eyes on him. This is Peter and John going through the gate beautiful. And there's this crippled man there. It says, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter, John, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave his attention, expecting to receive something from them, because he was asking for money. And then Peter says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this is very important because as believers, once we have this complete love for him and this complete loyalty to the Lord, and we die to ourselves when we've been made alive to Christ, this unleashes us to do something greater. You've got to understand something about Peter and John here. They weren't always like that. If you look in the Gospels, they were always fighting for position. They were always saying, I'm great. Who's the greatest among us? I'm greater. I'm greater than you. In fact, John even wrote how much Jesus loved him more than anybody else. And so here they are. They, they now are saved. They, they accepted Jesus, their Lord and Savior. They're fully devoted towards him. They're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And here they go into this, this guy, and they're looking at him. They walk through this gate beautiful to go pray. He's there begging him, and they look at him. He's begging for money, and they reach down and say to him, look at me. There's a reason they said look at me, because I want you to understand something. Love is very powerful. And so they wanted to see, wanted him to see the love in their eyes, because he was asking for money. And this is what, what Peter said, silver and gold have I none. It's not like us when beggars beg for us from us and we say we don't have any money even though we have $50 in our pocket 
So he wanted them, him to know, number one, that he loved them, and number two, that he wasn't lying to them. But he, then he makes a statement, probably one of the greatest statements in the New Testament, concerning who we can be, who we can become, because we're totally devoted for, to him, loyal to him, and love him with all of our hearts. He says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. Let me tell you something. A miracle happened after he said that. A miracle happened, not because they were anointed, but because they were men who truly found freedom from themselves. Loved the Lord with all their heart. Totally devoted to Him. Had the love of God and His commitment to the Lord, but was unhindered. They were unleashed to give completely what they had. Ten years ago, Lisa and I bought a house. And that's the house we live in today. It was, a, it was a repo house, and we had the inspection done. Everything was right in the inspection, so we move in, and everything, everything's good. And I went that night to take a shower. And I don't know about you, just a little drips coming out of the shower is not good enough for me. I want to step in that shower, and that shower hit me, and it knocks me back a little bit. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm looking at it and saying, what's, what's the matter here? I mean... What's, you know, the flow, what, it's not coming out enough. And so I started taking out the, the thing and looking in there. They had this little restrictor thing in there. So I got my screwdriver and just got that thing out. And I know it's saving water, but, you know, whatever. I want a, I want a strong shower. So I put that back on, turned the shower on. It's like heaven, man, you know. And um, it's a lot of things in our life is like that, especially in the relationship with God. That's why we don't see the miracles we want to see. That's why we don't see the things of God we want to see because we have it hindered up, stricted up because of our not undivided love. But we've, we have other things that we love. Not our, our undivided loyalty, but we've divided loyalty to other things. And our loyalty, I'm not saying to be to church, but I'm saying to God. Our love to God. And once we have that, we're unleashed. We have freedom. And so when we see a man who needs help, we look down there and say, look at me. I don't have what you're asking because you're not needing what you're asking. But what I have, I give to you freely. What do you have to give? What does God have you to give? I mean, so many times we've damned it up. In some way, if it trickles out, it could be in the area of doing that love, just loving people. It could be in the area God has given you giftings by the Holy Spirit, the gifting of faith, the miracles, of healings. And because you're not, you're so divided in your loyalty and maybe divided in your love, you're fearful to give that out because you're divided. But once you become fully focused, it's like, I'm laying hands on anybody I want. Hospital, look out. You're going to start losing money because of me. Or it could be in the area of finances. You don't really fully trust him because you have undivided love. So when it's time for you to give financially in some way, maybe to um, the church, maybe to people out there, whatever, Maybe you do have 50 bucks in your pocket and someone needs something. It may be a friend, but you, you don't want to give that because you're going to need that for something else. I just, I, my dad is just, has been such an inspiration to me about giving. Because when he got safe, he got radically safe. He gave it all. 
My dad was my discipler. And he just gives. I mean, crazy giving. I mean, he still gives to Lisa and I today. We don't need it. But he just gives us money. I'm thinking, Dad, stop it. Go on a cruise. He does go on cruises and he still gives. Because he's been set free. Things don't have him. And my dad has things. But they don't have him. He'll give it. He, was, he bought a house in Florida. They had just bought a big fifth wheel. And I'm coming down there. I didn't know they were buying a house until I'm coming down there. They're buying this house down in Florida. They just bought a big fifth wheel to travel the world. I said, what do you need both? And he says, well, do you want it? <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> I said, no, I didn't say that. I said, no, you need to sell it. But he was willing to give that to me. But I tell you what, I'm be honest with you. My wife can say this. He's willing to give everything. He's been unleashed. I'm not trying to lift up my dad. I'm just using that as an example. He's unleashed to give. There's nothing clogging that man up in that way. He wants to you to do the same thing. Not just financially, but in every single way. To give to your family. To give the love and the respect that they need to people out there in this world that hate Jesus. Your only, their only chance is you and I. And the only way is because we love them unconditionally. Amen? Mitch, come on up here. Mitch had a word. I want him to give it before I, we close into this. Go ahead and give that word real quickly, bro. Um, as we were singing Oceans... I just really felt like Holy Spirit said, the more you're in my presence, the more radical you're going to be. I mean, because that's where it starts. That's where it starts. You know, as Pastor Sean was saying, you know, miracles. You know, we have a church that needs miracles. You have families that need miracles. You have coworkers that need miracles. But when you're in the presence of the Lord, and he asks you to do something, you don't question. You just say yes. Isaiah 6, the first verse says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. Then go down to verse 6. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew over to the altar and picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? And I said, Lord, I'll go, send me. Isaiah didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how much money it was going to cost. He didn't know if he was going to die. He was in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord asked a question. He says, Yep, I'm going. I am going. What do you have to do? What do you have to do? I just really believe that there's people here you've been financially bound that you just can't see a breakthrough. But God has asked you to give. You know, that, that commission, that you know that you're saving for something, that commission money, but God says, I want you to give it. You know, I want you to pray for that person at Walmart. Well, God, you know, it's going to be on camera. There's going to be a lot of people around. 
I want you to pray for somebody in Walmart. What's more important? Their healing or your pride? You know, I I struggle with it. I mean, I do. But I don't want to anymore. I don't want to. You know, I want the presence of the God to be so over me and my family, my church, my friends, that when I go somewhere, my shadow heals somebody. No, your shadow heals somebody. Your shadow heals somebody. Your $50 that's in your pocket that you're supposed to give is going to reach nations. Yeah, but you don't see, you don't know how it's going to get there. You just have to be obedient to what he says right now. Right now. The next thing God tells you is the biggest thing you've ever done. Because he says, I want you to give all you have. Well, God, I got taxes coming up. I'm big enough to take care of your taxes. Yes. I am big enough. You know, let's, let's be a church. You know, we don't have borders on our trust. He's like, God, I am walking on the water. I am going. Not just a toe, just not the foot. If you're focused on him, it doesn't matter what's below you, what's around you. It's him. It is him. It's him. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song. We're going to worship it just right here. Just stay seated for a minute. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Ask the Lord, what's hindering me? What areas of love have I divided? What areas of loyalty is divided? And commit right now to get rid of it so you can be free. Go ahead, Kevin.